Hey, hey, welcome back. Chances are, if you've been around our podcast for a while, you've heard of things like agreements for sale and lease options and tenant first rent loan. Well, if you've ever been curious about these things, you're going to want to spend pay special attention to our guest today, Sherilyn Milsom, who is zooming in from lovely Edmonton, Alberta, because she's got a ton of experience with all of these things. She's got experience with agreements for sale, creative deals, rent to own, lease options, same thing, tenant first. She's also done long-term buy and hold and burrs and small multifamilies, you name it. Sherilyn's done a lot of stuff. So welcome to the call, Sherilyn. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's start this quickly because we got a lot to dig into. Tell us a little bit about what got you into real estate and when. Oh, goodness. Well, I always wanted my own business. That that was just something from when I was a little kid. I, I wanted to be whatever that week, but I wanted to be the boss of that. But the problem <laughs> with most businesses, you've got a storefront. You've got you've got to be there. You're you're working 90 hours a week just to break even for the first three years. Yeah. So that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted something passive, something that I would be making money when I sleep. And uh, we we kind of stumbled across real the idea of real estate investing when we were reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and a couple other books, and then just plowed through everything I could get my hands on to read. And uh, then by 2006, we were buying property after property. Very nice. Well, that is exciting stuff. So when you got started with real estate investing, what what were you guys doing early on and fast forward to today? Because that's a number of years ago now. What do you guys focus on these days? Well, we kind of started with creative stuff yeah. right from the start, because what we were doing to get started was buying a house with an older existing suite. We would put low money down. We'd have the suite renovated or in a, at least one case, we built the suite. There was nothing there before. And then we would keep our eyes open for the next one, which kind of happened really fast mm -hmm. and moving with toddlers and, and uh, preschoolers. And oh, we you were house hacking these. You were, you were doing these while you're living in them. Oh yeah. Well, oh, wow. low money down in Canada, you need to live in it. So we yeah. would live in it, do the renovations and then keep our eyes out for the next one. And yeah, it, it happened faster than we thought. We didn't intend for it to be that quick, but there we go. It, here was another opportunity. So let's buy that one with so, money. So how quick was it? Just to give us an idea. Three months, three months, three months. So you're telling me you moved three times in three in one year? Yeah. With toddlers? Uh, oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was fun. <laughs> Trial by fire, I tell you what. So these properties, did you end up holding on to them as long-term uh, rentals or were you kind of flipping these deals? We we still have the first two. Mm -hmm. The third one that we bought, we we weren't happy with it. It mm -hmm. just, it was, we had one thing after another happen with it. And we realized, I don't think the renovation team on this one was to our standards. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity came along during the boom, we sold that one and then took the fairly massive profits and and did other things with it. So that one, we didn't intend on it being a flip, but it ended up being a flip. So did this become your full-time gig fairly quickly? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we and we've always managed in house. I I hire my own staff and train my own staff mm-hmm. because I'm a bit of a control freak. Uh-huh. So it just well, you happens. told me you want to be the boss of that. So yeah, that kind of tells me yeah, I want to be the boss of everything. <laughs> All right, so perfect, Sherilyn. So you got off to a fast start, and then what did that kind of turn into to keep you busy at this full time? Mind you. Sounds like you had toddlers at the time. You were already pretty busy. Yeah. So I was a full-time stay-at-home mom and I was earning, uh, well, at that time it was a part-time income because we only had a handful of properties and we had run out of our own money. So then I needed to get even more creative because I I didn't have a course like you. I've heard of your course and and Mm -hmm. how you help people to to get money uh, for joint ventures. There wasn't really anything like that. And I was not good. I wasn't confident at getting joint venture partners. So I started doing the tenant first rent to own. I took a course on it, educated myself first. Just just out of curiosity, uh, whose course was that at that time? It was an American guru. Oh, okay. And and then I took more. Then I also um, took a couple more things and read Mark Loeffler's book and, and just had to get more basis because the American guru I found was um, his ethics challenged me. <laughs> so sure. 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 and burn. I think uh, sometimes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Anyway. Yeah, um, sure. But no, so we turned to, to rent to own because that's a pretty little package for investors. That's something that I could really, um, you know, I not push, but I could really get behind in it. And it, I just was able to, to market that better because it's a pretty little package tied up in a bow. Here's your, your short-term investment. Here's what the anticipated returns will be. So that worked really well. And I actually had people lined up. I had an email list of people waiting wow. to invest. So just, I'm just really curious about that, Sherilyn, because I did that for a couple of years myself. Not as successfully as it sounds like you done it, that's for sure. But I was doing the same thing, tenant first, hearing good old Kamloops and getting investor partners on board. How did you structure your deals with your investors or, or were they joint venture partners in, in those cases? We did joint venture partners for all of those. Yeah. And most of them were a 50-50 split with yeah. me getting the mortgage because again, control freak. Uh-huh. So, so my corporation... Uh, would apply for the mortgages. And oh, that's a side note. After our first one that we did in our personal names, and we realized, yes, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Then we incorporated because rent to own is kind of like a long flip. Yeah. It's active income. So, so we incorporated. But, so that, so but that yeah. you could reduce your taxes and, and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. So what, I, again, sorry, I'm digging into this, but I'm really curious about this, Sherilyn. So more or less, what year was that that you started doing the tenant first rent tone? Do you remember? I think it was 2010. Okay. I think. Yeah. And then you were getting the mortgages in your corporation. Who was qualifying for the mortgages? How, how was how did the qualification thing work? Because that's kind well, of unique. We've been really fortunate because all or most of our properties are legally suited houses, which have huge cash flow or rent to own, which has huge cash flow. 
So we've, we've never really had any trouble qualifying for mortgages. So that's, that's another bonus for our joint venture partners, of course, because all they had to do is write us a check and just that's, sit back. Well, that's and, pretty sweet. Yeah. So yeah. two things you did very differently than I did. That's the big one. Qualifying for the mortgages in the corporation so that your partner basically just had to put in the cash. And the second thing is, instead of offering them a specific return on investment, you did a profit share with them, basically a 50-50 type deal. Is that correct? Yes, but we do a spreadsheet that that calculates pretty accurately yeah. what the final return will be. And it shows if you're putting in cash, here's what your return, uh, your your ROI per year will be. Mm-hmm. If you're using borrowed money, like a home equity line of credit, here's what your ROI will be, which is of course a huge difference. So it, and then they could make an educated decision. They've got all the numbers in front of them and it's just an open book. Very nice. So what would the difference be? Are you paying a different rate depending on where the money's coming from? Or are you just showing them how leveraging their HELOC they're really getting an infant return because it's not even their money that they're investing. Yeah, well, exactly. When you're using borrowed money, um, then then the only money that's really out of your pocket is the interest payment. The, mm. the money is coming from the bank and all the, that you're paying is the interest payment. So it could easily go from a 25% ROI to a 400% ROI. Oh, yeah. It's really astounding. Yeah, that would be an eye-opener for a lot of people. Okay, very cool. So I'm I'm rewinding my memory banks because it's been a while since I was in the rent-to-own business. And as I recall, one of the biggest pain in the butts for me uh, with that whole business was lead generation for tenant buyers. Not that it was tough to find potential tenant buyers. It was just sifting through the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who wanted to get a house, but most of them didn't fit our parameters. What what do you guys do that might be a little bit different of how I was putzing around with that? We have just a simple email template that asks them what, you know, a, a few basic questions and, and, or sometimes we do the phone call. It really depends. So mm-hmm. if they're, I haven't done a tenant first in a while. Okay. But as I recall, if they inquired by email, I would send the email template. If they inquired on the phone, then I would ask them the questions. So keep it to whatever communication they had. But right. yeah, we have a few basic qualifying questions and then a few basic, uh, really three um, calculations that I do yeah. that tells me very quickly what's the maximum house budget they can afford Mm-hmm. And if that works, well, now they've passed step one and let's send them the application and get more details that we can do the full qualification. Yeah, I know that makes sense. So yeah, as I recall, what I was looking for was A, you know, income was, was very important. B, having a significant chunk of cash up front for a non-refundable option fee was was another big one there. And C was how screwed up their credit actually was. <laughs> how, how fixable in, in what kind of time frame? Yeah. Yes. And, and more on that, but the, the, the third quali- um, calculation that we had was based on their monthly budget, because mm-hmm. you need to be able to afford market rent and potentially money on top of that. But yeah, with the credit, it's, 
it's it's not so much about the score as you know mm -hmm. it's about what exactly is on there and how soon it's going to pop off mm -hmm. and what they can do additionally to make some improvements we've had people who we had one person who had a 460 credit wow. score but the reason for that was because of an administrative error back when he lived in bc and he canceled his insurance so once that came off within a year his credit was high nice. so the worst score i've ever worked with but he was able to buy in a year <laughs> well okay so what was the typical time frame for your tenant first type deals what were you working with we were always aiming for two years and then sometimes people would be able to do it quicker. Sometimes they'd need another year, but we were always aiming for two. I'm not a big fan of the, of the starting out with a five year rent to own, because that's just too big of a time horizon. You just can't see that. Well, you can't see into the future at all, but certainly not five years into the future with any reasonable uh, expectation of accuracy. And I like what you said earlier that the rent own is kind of like a slow motion flip because, <laughs> because it kind of is that the challenge I had with the whole strategy was like a flip. It's very dependent on the final price being significantly higher than the initial cost to get into that property. So that was a little challenge that we had in, in our market was we hit a, uh, an economic time where everything went flat and a little bit down for a few years. And that took the wind right out of uh, a whole bunch of rent-owned deals I had on the go at that time. You're in Alberta. Alberta, well, if you're in, if most of these deals are around Edmonton, it's a little bit more stable, but it's still kind of up and down sometimes. Did you ever have that challenge where the, the market did not cooperate with your rent-owned plans? Well, yes and no. We actually had one where the, the the family was ready to buy and the appraisal came back ridiculously low mm -hmm. it we don't know how the cmhc appraiser got this number it was ridiculous it's it, we couldn't find any support for such a low number but the problem is when it's a cmhc insured mortgage they take the first appraisal they don't care if it's terrible right. so in that case and the the buyers tenant buyers agreed there's no way that house is worth only that much. So we came to an arrangement. We reduced the final price a little bit, and then we came up with a payment plan that worked for both of us uh, so that we financing. could finish yeah. the deal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, tell me a little bit about agreements for sale, because that sounds like another fun pool that you've been playing in. For oh, it is. Once we, because at some point, as you were saying with, with your um, area, the, the timing isn't right for a tenant first rent to own because you need a bigger markup. You need that higher final price in order to, to make it all work because you're buying conventionally. So we then switched into buying on agreement for sale where we were helling, helling I'm sorry, <laughs> helping out sellers in distress. And at, well, not all of them are in distress. In some cases, they just flat out don't want to work with a realtor. So yeah. all kinds of people don't either don't or can't work with a realtor. And so they turn to companies like mine and say, Hey, you know, how can we work this out where you buy my house, we need to move to Ontario or, or, you know, we're in debt up to our ears or whatever the case may be. So we help them out, we buy the house, we sometimes we get a big discount. Sometimes we don't 
get a discount at all, but we get really excellent terms. And sometimes we get both. But however it works, we're getting something that that gives us kind of a, a head start on on the final profit of the property because we're not putting in so much money. We're not putting in 20 or 25 percent down. In a lot of cases, we're putting zero down and taking over the property. And then we're able to either well, we're able to do anything with it so we can rent it. We can do a flip. We can do a rent to own we can do whatever we want. And so that's what I've been doing for, for the last several years. And then still, as I say, doing rent to owns with that as well. So it just opens it up. Okay. So now instead of doing tenant first rent to owns, where you're finding the tenant buyer, having them go shop, look for a house. Now you're finding these motivated sellers or, or what have you and creating these agreements for sale. And one of your exit strategies is selling that property via rent to own. Okay. So maybe for folks who aren't familiar with agreements for sale, if you had to explain it to a pretty average 10-year-old, how would you explain an agreement for sale? It's kind of like a regular sale with a really, really long closing. So we use a standard purchase contract, but it has a separate financing schedule, or in the case of Alberta, I like to build it right in there. But either way, it has a financing schedule that covers, here's how we're going to handle all of the payments on the house, all of the, the equity, and when the seller's going to get paid out his cash equity, and, and when the deal is going to fully complete and title transfer and, and the sale close. So at first, we have beneficial ownership, so we can do whatever we want with the property, but the full title transfer doesn't happen for, say, two to four years. So you've got complete control over the property, but the title stays in the original owner's name until you complete whatever it is that, that you're going to be doing. All yeah. right. So what is the big benefit for a seller to do this with you guys versus selling privately, selling through a realtor, what have you? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. We had one seller that had zero equity in the property. Well, Next zero equity, equity once we, once we do, agreed on a little discount for it. But basically, if he was to sell it the conventional way, he would have mortgage prepayment penalties, which would have been thousands and thousands of dollars. And then if you're selling through a realtor, you're looking at whatever, 20, 20 some thousand dollars in commissions. Mm -hmm. If you sell privately, you're probably not going to sell it as fast and you might not make as much money. So either way, you're probably out that 20 grand. Yeah. And if you've got 5,000 in equity in a property and you're looking at 25,000 in costs, who's got that money in their pocket to just hand mm -hmm. over to the bank for the privilege of selling their house for nothing? Mm -hmm. So by, by, Somebody with low equity is a is a typical customer of ours because they really don't they have any options. They can't afford to sell. They have no other option. Okay. Yeah. So then what is that person typically doing after you take over the house? Like they're probably not going out and buying another property because their their credit's still tied up with that original mortgage. Uh, what, it really depends because yeah. this specific example that I'm talking about they had already been pre-approved for, they were moving provinces and they had already been pre-approved for a mortgage in their new province. And that was based on their current property either being sold or rented. 
So okay. we took over operations. The property was rented. And uh, we sent, we give a letter to, to, to the seller to confirm that, yes, all of the costs are covered. Here's the monthly payments that QD HomeQuest is making. Mm -hmm. And they take that to their bank and the bank says, that's good enough for us. And it's, it was it's no smooth. problem. So, nice. yeah. And then in other cases, yes, you're right. Sometimes it's devastating credit issues and they are not going to be buying a house for another they're, they're five They're going to go years. rent somewhere else or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Now, I've heard of agreements for sale a lot when it comes to Alberta. Are there the equivalent in other provinces as well, Sherilyn? Yeah, there are very few differences. One difference, which is kind of weird, is that if you're in a province with land transfer tax, which we don't have, <laughs> uh, but if you are, then my understanding is the land transfer tax needs to be paid at the time the sale is agreed upon. So that's at the outset rather than when the sale closes two years from now. Jeez, that's dumb. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. If, if you're not transferring title, why why you need to have the land transfer tax ahead of time? Okay. No wonder it's but so the, popular now. The beneficial, it so much. oh, sorry. The beneficial ownership is transferring. So mm -hmm. I guess that's where the, the provincial governments call it. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, that is very, very interesting, Sherilyn. So how do all of these creative type strategies fit in with your long-term buy and hold? Well, I, that's an excellent question. We use all of the profits from those to buy or build long-term assets. So we, we've, um, we've had a few purpose-built, secondary suited houses built, uh, we've bought other properties right now where we bought an infill lot that we're going to do a five unit project on that. We're also Very looking nice. at, at multifamily. Now, of course, I don't have all the, the cash ready for all of that, but, but we have done a lot of projects based on the profits from our creative deals. Very nice. So you're using these creative deals. This is your active real estate income. And then you're taking your profits and you're putting those into your own long-term buy and hold build to rent. It sounds like is what you're primarily focusing yeah. on. Nice, nice, nice. Well, Sherilyn, uh, this is fascinating. I could chat with you all day. We might have to have you back on the show again at a future time, but uh, if people want to connect with you and find out more about what you're up to and what you're doing, maybe more along the lines of the whole agreement for sale thing, because it sounds like you got that pretty dialed in. What should they do? Well, I do have a free webinar that's uh, coming up right away here. And they can access that through our website, creativerealestateformula.com. And then it's yeah, creativerealestateformula.com backslash workshop. And that will sign you up for our, our free workshop so you can find out more about agreement for sale, see if it's something you're at all interested in. And then if you have questions, you'll have emails from me through that um, link that we'll, I'll be able to send you emails with the, the details of the webinar. And then you can reply to those emails and you'll be able to contact me directly. There you go. Sherilyn, thank you very much for sharing some of your insights, your experience and your wonderful journey. Excellent. I Again, thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. All right, everybody, take care, and we'll see you on the next episode.